All right, well, hey, I, like I, I, I want to just say something. I, uh, in the continued process of, uh, you know, needing to deal with all my car shit today, I went out with Django to pick up my vehicle, and as I was about to pay the, like, $540 bill, uh, the, di- the guy was like, is that a Dragon Ball Z wallet? And I was like, it's totally a Dragon Ball Z wallet. He's like, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, man, it's, it's good. Do you want to give me a discount? Because, like, Goku would give me a discount. And he was like... You don't get it if you don't ask. And she was like, all right, we'll see what I can do. And he took off $70 of my bill. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> he brought it down to 470 from like 540 Um And I was like, damn, man, that is what Goku would do. Yeah, that's fucking and, cool. Uh, and I said, like, man, this totally makes being made fun of in sixth grade for liking Dragon Ball Z worth it. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Oh, that's awesome. It was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I get more compliments on that wallet than any other thing I've ever owned. <laughs> like anywhere in Spokane, it was like annoying. Is it the same wallet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. We're I have my different wallet on me now. Matching wallet buddies. No. You have a different wallet? I have a savings wallet that I put all my savings in. and I, I thought we were wallet bros. We're wallet bros for sure, but this is my wallet that I keep like stuff, finances and stuff, and I just. We're bros, dude. We're bros. I just want to be our bro. I just want us to be bros. We're bros. By tomorrow, you'll feel it. You'll feel a shift. I'll have my normal I don't even see you tomorrow, man. You'll feel it, though. You'll know. I'll feel it. Is this this Roshi's symbol, the turtle? Uh... Podcast episode 121, the United States of America's premier comic book podcast. Beating down the doors of fame, here we are, winding down our tenure in the Pap Cave. <laughs> Ten years? Uh, our tenure, you know, oh, like tenure, when you okay. teach college yeah. for too long. Like tenor oh, sex? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the one below alto and b- above baritone. Oh. Baritone! <laughs> Go to hell. Oh, Jesus. Hey, uh, I'm Jeff, and uh, I'm just happy to be here without Django, and we've got ourselves a nice wine night. You remember we used to do that? Mm, sweet wine, yeah. Sweet wine. It always, it always gives a whole new flavor <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> that was the most, like, <laughs> fucking Roman, like, making himself with a terrible a wine joke. Night. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like when the parents go away for the weekend and the kids play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Django, you're gone, and we're having a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun in your dusty little box of yeah. cat poo. We're wearing really tight, glittery short shorts. That we stole from him. Yeah. Uh, Roman's feeling, feeding me jelly donuts. He's not wearing a shirt, so no. we're just sort of running our fingers between his <laughs> weird gray chest hair. Yeah, and it's long. <laughs> like, Jenga, you probably could not grow your chest hair as long, uh, even Django if you tried. couldn't grow any hair that long. He, you know, he shaved his, his head and his stashy today, and I think it was because he was just sort of, he felt bad that Roman's hair is longer and more luscious and more sexual than his. Sexual. It's like a big old nest of love. <laughs> I wish I was like a tiny little animal that could crawl and just sort of live in that uh, that gray divot you got right there that's just covered in ice cream cone crumbs. <laughs> I told you, you shouldn't eat ice cream cones before we have our shirtless podcast night. But it looks so good with like sticky dried ice cream yeah. on them. Yeah, and every now and then I can, I can 
pick one out and eat it during the podcast, it'll be great. Ooh, mm. listen for those crunches, everybody. <laughs> Who are you guys? I'm Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Roman. Oh, you had more? You can do more. I relapse, Django. <laughs> Here I am. I'm having a fucking party. No, I'm Justin, and I'm 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 cool as a cucumber. I'm Roman. I'm I'm I'm. Uh, I can't think of a, anything clever to say. We all feed off Django. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, cool as an avocado. Yeah, that's you a, are. That's, you are. that's very. I was cool, thinking it'd be Roman. fun to like, um, you know, get like record an intro where we are either really fucking drunk or <laughs> pretending to be really drunk and then go do the intro and then go back to the beginning of the podcast where we're sober and just the podcast is a slow drive towards being way too drunk where <laughs> that would be the, so the, fun. the intro I mean you know none of us get that drunk but uh, ever I don't like to be sloppy I think it's good to be clean Except for Roman, who's got several types of dried <laughs> ice cream all over him. Like, how many flavors do you eat today? 31. 31. Whoa. You went to the Baskin Robbins. Actually, I went to Mallard's and I said, I want 31 flavors, no more, no less. And I want them all on my <laughs> chest. Like, one's olive oil. You're just getting olive oil mixed into a batch of ice cream. You're just like, do it, man. It. Mix it in there. Come on. <laughs> I brought I my own. That guy. <laughs> he always comes in, he yells at us, puts ice cream all over his shirtless chest. <laughs> we got to start. Barring that guy from coming in, Did he spent so much. They're like, no, it's Roman. <laughs> <laughs> we love him when he's not demanding that <laughs> ice cream. Hey, this week we're going to talk about Daredevil number two, Action Comics one thousand eight, Black Hammer, Age of Doom number eight, Buffy the Vampire Slayer number two, Fantastic Four number seven, Detective Comics nine nine nine. <gasps> Almost there, boys. Uh, ice Cream Man number ten. Amazing Spider-Man 16, and Heroes in Crisis number 6 of 9, slowly creeping towards the end of that one. I think we've got really strong feelings about that one. Wait till the end, everybody. Um, You know, nothing in here really spoiler-wise happening. I guess we're going to give away the ending of Detective Comics 999, but aside from that, not no real big spoilers or anything. So here's your spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about the books, the things that happen in them. Um, but Some also stuff takes place at the end after a page turn. Exactly, exactly. Uh, which one's that? Uh, or just you talking about in fiction in general? Yeah, in fiction in general, a lot of the times after a page turn, a thing happens. Yeah, and you go, whoa. Sometimes though, things happen before you turn the page. Yeah, and that ain't so bad either. Well, let's kick this thing off. I'm just gonna get get us all ready here. Daredevil number two by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. God, I love Chiquetto. I do too. His work is just on point. And I, I also love, love these. The, yeah, no. Oh, the branded chips, Chiquettos. Oh, sorry, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, we're on the same page. Chicharrone quetetos. Yeah, yeah. My favorite trip. Yeah, they're eating a lot of those here, Jingo. Yeah, we're eating them right now. Topless chip night, wine chip night, chip Zdarsky night. No fear. None of it. Well, and we know it here in Daredevil number two. Justin, you were talking earlier about how Chip is planning, like he's, he's talking about how he's done a lot of lighthearted stuff, but he thinks it's going to be a kind of fun, exciting thing to just go real fucking dark in this issue. Yeah, he had that little um, PSA, and then he kind of said another thing after that, because I think he was like, I think I'm just going to get really dark in this PSA, and then later his comment on it is that he actually wants to explore darker stuff and thinks Daredevil's like a perfect character, so he's going to try to get real dark. He's the Marvel Universe's punching bag. Yeah, uh, he is, and he's... I love it. I love a hero that just gets whooped, you know, <laughs> um, but gets back up. The strength to get back up. 
But can you? You read this, Roman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff yeah. read it. Can you imagine if if he's exploring dark? How dark this is gonna get? I know, because I mean, Daredevil has already gotten so many dark places, and we're pretty darn dark for two issues in. Yeah. So, like, yeah. what's our trajectory here? The bottom he, of the well. He's like out of shape. He's got that huge beer belly. He's got the beer belly. He's he covered tri- in chip and dried <laughs> ice cream in his hair. <laughs> He's tripping on building tops, so we can't even root for him. We're not even like, that's our guy. It's like, oh, ooh, I'm a little embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. He then was he, my guy. He accidentally kills a guy, maybe. So that's the thing. Um, that's it, fucked up. That's fucked up. How dark is it going to go? Like, you know, the diatribe we went on earlier is like issue three. <laughs> is You know, he loses an arm. Yep. Issue four, he realizes he's got bipolar disorder because he's, you know, related to the wasp. Issue five, you know, it's just going to get bad. Loses his wallet. Loses his wallet. That's the sort of climax of the story. Like, fuck, where's my credit card? I haven't paid my taxes. Everything is tied to that. Yep. Um, I've got rectal bleeding. <laughs> Yeah, that's how they find his rectal blood on the crime scene, too. They're like, Matt Murdock was <laughs> That's a busted Hemi. Uh, yeah. That's a busted Hemi. I know when someone busts a Hemi. Uh, yeah, Daredevil's flying around the city, dangling from uh, what appears to be red dental floss. He, he yeah. can get around the city in red dental floss. He uh, He's talking to his nuns. Oh, by the way, he's not Catholic. In I'm a Mormon! Oh, no, I'm Mormon! <laughs> I was always Mormon! God dang it! So what actually happens in this? Well, so the first issue, yeah, he like did he or didn't he he's responsible for killing a guy? That was sort of the cliffhanger. In this issue, I hope he didn't though, because like th- that's fucked up. I'm kind of on the other side of kind of hoping he did. Like, wow. how does he, how do you redeem yourself from that though? Well, you know, he's fighting crime. This guy, like, he f- sort of like fell and busted his head. You know, yeah. like that seems like a thing that would happen occasionally to superheroes. Sure. Yeah. Like, darn, it hit you a little too hard. Yeah, I'm re- I'm real curious to see if. You know, the guy actually did get killed because of all that. How, how Daredevil deals it. How he comes back from that. Yeah, I guess I'm. I would be interested in how he came back from that and what people do about it. I'm a, a little less interested in the frame job, you know. Yeah. But yeah. also, you know, I understand. Like that's we can't have our hero accidentally killing people. So I think it like. Oh, Green Arrow has. It would. Daredevil has already been down some pretty dark stuff to yeah. throw that on top. Well, of and him. he did kill. Bullseye, and yeah. he's killed. Yeah, but that was different because Bullseye was a much bigger threat that was about to kill him. And wasn't he like possessed by a demon at the time? Shadowland. Oh, I don't. I don't yeah. know. Was that it? Yeah, yeah he yeah, stabbed okay. him through the stomach. Dummy, dummy. Um, I'm just getting a dummy. And he's a supervillain, so he got better. But like the thuggy guy isn't going to get better. I just, for me, I was thinking like, what is the lie you have to tell yourself to continue to do it when you just accidentally kill somebody from being sloppy? You know, like, yeah, kicked him too hard, broke his rib, or you know, well, it was his fault because his brain was already hemorrhaging. Yeah, so I don't know, but Matt goes dark places. Uh, but in this second one, this cop guy, how do you guys? Yeah. There's a new cop introduced, and he's just out for Daredevil. He's he's a. He's, I don't like him. Uh, yeah, I don't like him either. Well, we're not supposed to. I, I'm a little ways. I'm kind of like, uh, so far this guy's pretty like one note okay here's the badass detective from out of town that's going to come in and is very single minded is going to take down our hero it's like really that's not I, very interesting I gotta live in a gray zone <laughs> a little bit more than that guy's willing to yeah for sure yeah. Like, I would oh go ahead I, I, I was just going to say like this doctor or whoever he is is he a doctor um, oh yeah the, the daredevil is. talks to him the, the speech this guy gives daredevil about how you know we've all seen uh, pe- criminals we've all treated criminals you've attacked and we can tell, you know, you know what you're doing. You're you know anatomy. You've got almost surgical strikes. 
And the doctor doesn't think Daryl could be that sloppy. I yeah. think is what he said. Yeah. And that was really interesting. Yeah, and he also says, like, or, or you are being, like, you did kill this dude. But I love he's taking off. He's like, you should have been a doctor. Yeah. And I was like, man, Daredevil would have been a good doctor, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was a great point. He's got so many other talents. Like, yeah, he could do a lot of other good things. He's a great lawyer, too, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, and realistically, it's like, well, it's like, the, you know, same thing with Batman with all that money. You know, why don't you feed small countries and <laughs> create resources and stuff instead yeah. of just going out every night. Fix the water in Gotham. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> People are getting crazy juice in the water a lot. Yeah. I The cop dynamic at first I was pretty excited about. Like, oh, this cop's coming in. He's, like, trying to prove himself in the city. It'd be cool to see that cop really develop and be a character that you kind of hate and love at the same time. And, He's pretty one note now. Yeah, and I... I mean, I mean, I don't like him in the way that I think I'm not supposed to like him. For sure, I think he's, he's a good a character because he's a dick and he can't see the strength of Daredevil as that character. So I think it's effective writing. I don't, I don't mean to say I don't like him and he's not a good character. He's just he's a bag of dirt. Yeah, he is a bag of dirt. I wish, yeah, I wish there was a little bit more gray though. But at the end of the issue, he shoots Daredevil. He shoots him in what looks like the shoulder. Yeah. But Daredevil's down, and he's got a dentist appointment in the next issue that he's got to get to. So <laughs> That's true. To find out that he has cavities in all of his teeth <laughs> yeah, to let the whole downward spiral of Chip Zdarsky's dark run go. Yep, yep. Daredevil I need fillings in every tooth? You drink too much Coca-Cola, Matt. <laughs> you can't eat a bunch of donuts all the time. Yeah. All that to say, I, I and the cover's gorgeous, this is a really great book. And, yeah. uh, you know... In our lighthearted uh, Matt Murdock ribs, ribbings, um, uh, I hope that it's clear that we're super excited for this journey. Not to speak for everybody, I am. I think the art's great. Yeah. I think the writing is great, and I, I'm not. I wasn't bored a single moment while reading this. No, I think it's a really effectively told comic. Like it, technically, it's written very well. The art's very, very good. It hasn't quite sunk its teeth in me yet, but it's like I still think it's one of a higher caliber superhero book coming out right now for Marvel. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, back in the day, like when when we were young or maybe before my time, but like in the 90s or 80s, I think that, I think justifiably so, but we look to have, you know, our, the teeth sunk into it real early on. And I feel like a lot of our favorite runs probably needed like six That's true. to like 10 issues. And I just, I hope we're moving towards an era where there's more of that going on. I feel like in the last like couple months, there's been a, a couple things where we've been sort of like, this is a good issue. I'm excited to be a part of this, and I'm excited to see it build, and it, and it has built. Uh, I hope this is a, one of that. You know, I, I I looked for the teeth to be sunk in all so soon. You know, I want a good hook because we see so many issue number ones that an image is really like yeah captured that feeling of like just really loving an issue. It seems like nowadays we're pushing comic sales rather than series sales. Yeah. So you get, I don't know, less patient. Re- I'm less patient as a reader. You I know? am too. Like, it, there are some independent books that I really liked, but it took me a while to get into. But now I'm just like, meh. You know, this was a pretty good comic. I'm not going to stick with it. Yeah. You know, and like, also maybe that's just the the privilege of working in a comic shop. For We're sure. not paying all the dollars for it. So we got to examine our privilege a little bit. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I do as well. Maybe we're drinking yep. from the fire hose. <laughs> uh, I give Daredevil number two a nine. Ooh. 8.59. I give it an 8.5. That's okay. Justin saying that. Oh, yeah. This is Roman. I'll give it an 
<laughs> nice, we're all in the same. spraying that yeah. fire hose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Action Comics 1008 by Brian Bendis and Steve Epting kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> Didn't he do the previous issue? He did, but it just seems so weird oh. to me that he's gone from Marvel to DC to working with Bendis on a Superman book, which is strange. Uh, well, that's Ghost Rider without his flames. I really liked this issue, but I'm on record as being like kind of stupid fanboy about the series at this point. <laughs> I is really that like Doctor Death. No, oh, actually, no. This is Mr. Bones. He's the like director of the uh, Department of Extra Normal Operations. And wow. I didn't know any of that. I like all that. of that. See, yeah. see, they used and they used to be a big deal, like in the early '90s, throughout the '90s. In, in DC and they kind of were forgotten about but now they're all being re- reintroduced in uh, whatever they're calling the current DC <laughs> what, universe. What happens in, in this issue sort of following the last one is that there's all these organizations like Task Force X which is Suicide Squad or the DEO which Roman was just talking about and they're all getting blown up or sabotaged that Cobra cult in the previous issue there's like some organization is hunting down all these other like kind of governmental or secret organizations and I think we know that it's Leviathan. We kind of knew it was Leviathan last issue. Mm, yeah. And that's the reveal at the end of this issue, um, which is, you know, like, that's fine. But the the thing that stands out in this issue is just all the character moments in between it. Yeah. I love in this bit, there's a, there's a part where Amanda Waller meets up in disguise with General Lane and they're talking and, and uh, you know, in the last issue, I, I'd been on record as saying I really love that Lois interaction with her father about sort of like, I'm in love with Superman, like, I know you hunt Superman, but isn't all a father wants for his daughter to be with somebody who loves her and values her and trusts her and respects her with this truth and honesty and vulnerability. And And the American way. And the American (laughs) way. And he jumps over tall buildings and it's just a big old jump. But, uh, so in this issue, Amanda, you know, has this talking and and he says something about like, well, I may have been wrong about that whole Superman thing. Even though he kind (laughs) of like gave Lois the finger, but... And then there's just this awesome, awesome moment where he's like, well, isn't that why you invited me here? And she's like, I thought you invited me here. And they both are just like, get the fuck out now. And they just like run out. There's like, ghastly, go. And they're just like trying to get everybody. And then the building blows up. And Whoa. It was this, the pacing of it went just yeah. from like slow to fast really, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. That was really well done. Um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed this too. You know, it's funny. Epstein, his art, I feel like his art is usually better. Than this, this is weird, yeah. But because yeah, there's some something weird. It's not about bad. This. Yeah, it's not bad. If it was anybody else that didn't have that expectation, that Epstein expectation, you know, it'd be fine. Epstein stick. Yeah, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> there's uh, some really good stuff in here, but man, the bit where Amanda like shoots General Lane, I don't exactly track what happened there. Which I don't know. I was just sort of reading it quick, but. There's this sort of moment where he gets shot and he's laying there and this hulking figure is coming towards him and he's got the saddest face on. He just says Lois dot 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 and then it just zooms in on his eyes and then it's black. Like, who is that? I don't know who that is lurking next to him, but I got like real daddy issue sad looking mm. at that. I was like, yeah. oh man, dad's dying and he doesn't get to sort of come to terms with how much he loves and values his daughter and he realizes that, like there was just a, a really good moment there. But Roman, you said there was a big reveal at the end here. What was that to you? Like I, I was I sitting thought, there with you re- when you read it. Did I? I don't remember now. I was trying to remember. I was trying to get that scene because I was a little lost there too. I was like, why did well, I think she shot him because she thought there was some kind of 
uh, uh, camouflage tech, so maybe this wasn't Lane. Okay. Or maybe that's not really Amanda. I'm not sure, but I think she suspected it wasn't Lane, for, but it turns out it is. Um, what is the reveal? It's just that she shows up and she's like, Leviathan's coming. Oh, oh, it wasn't a reveal. It was next issue, the question. I'm, uh, I love the question. I love the question. I'm just excited too. to see yeah. the question. I've been in Metropolis. out today. Go for it. Oh. Can I get a fist bump, oh, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh, I, thank you. You got to charge it. Oh. oh. oh wow. <laughs> that was very zippy. Yeah. <laughs> zippy. Sounds like a Roman pick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Justin, I would recommend getting on here so you can read about the question next. You got question coming up in Tom King Batman, and you got the question coming up in Action Comics. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Tom King's going to be writing them. Oh, man. It's going to be good. I want to see a Tom, Queen, Tom, Tom, bleh, Tom King question series. Man, you would talk easier like, if you weren't also trying to lick dried ice cream. <laughs> well, I know, but I can't. Off your hair, I, have, I have no no impulse control. That's true. Yeah, you see a wolf around raw meat. Roaming around the ice to cream. Got hairballs. I would give this one an 8.5. Not the strongest issue of the bunch, but I love it. This run can just go. I'm so happy to read it every time. It was the, it's consistently like one of the first books I want to read. It generally, is the first book I read. Seems yep, real timeless. Too. Still, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give it an eight. Real good stuff. Um, I didn't read it, but just flipping through it, he's doing some real clever shit. It seems like Superman's in it, but he's also making you care about other characters because it's not because having so much Superman would make it a little boring because he's very powerful. It's very you know Superman adjacent. It's very the yeah. everything around Superman. But he you know it's Bendis. He he has a back and forth that doesn't feel overtly chatty. It feels like people talking, and I'm just in love with it. Yeah, I it love seems Bendis. Maybe why Bendis is writing is that they should change the name to adjacent comics featuring Superman. Black Hammer, Age of Tumbleweeds. Doom, number eight. <laughs> if Django were here, he would foley a cricket, and he's very good at that. Yeah, yeah. Now let's all do our Django cricket impersonation. Cricket, 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 cricket. Did you guys hear? I'm cricketing. Hey, hey, did you did you notice I'm cricketing? This is that... just all for Django. Yeah. Hey, Pinocchio, listen up. Was Black it? Hammer. <laughs> wasn't, the, wasn't that cricket in Pinocchio? Jiminy Cricket, Roman. Yeah, yeah. For fuck's sake. Wasn't he in Pinocchio? <laughs> um, Black Hammer, Age of Doom. I'll tell you what I really like about this is that there's a cover, and you open it, and the first page <laughs> is like a full single-page flash, like splash page of a fictional comic oh. that looks like Tales to Astonish, and I just like kind of flipped from the cover to the inside cover, and I, I thought that was very satisfying. Weird. My yeah. copy didn't have that. In my head, I thought... I'm kidding. It did. What Your jokes are killing it. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, "What the fuck?" I was confused. <laughs> I was like, "What?" That's a, that's a sound bite. When I saw that, I was like, "What the, the fuck? fuck?" Yeah, it's true. I want my money back. <laughs> this is the first issue of Black Hammer back from the two standing issues that had Rich Tomaso on art. What, did, what did y'all think of that? Um, I like this one a lot better than the Rich Tomaso ones. Really? Yeah. I like the art a lot better, but I liked the story in those Rich Tommaso I, issues. I don't even remember what the stories were in those two issues. I tell you what, real. the climax was that they realized they were fictional characters inside Jeff Lemire, and they crawled out of his consciousness, like and saw a bunch of writers of comics. Yeah, like, like gods. a bunch of yeah. What really? Yeah, it was. It got Looney Tunes awesome. as fuck. It was seriously some of my favorite stuff of the entire series. Yeah, did it's, I did I miss an issue? Maybe you thought it was a tie-in or something, but yeah, like. Colonel Weird gets out there. And he's, he's making like, friends with that duck. I still, yeah. I still can tell you guys are pulling my leg. No, I promise you. <laughs> and he, like, they go far Ooh, out of the... That's not your leg. <laughs> 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 he 
And you see, like, a bunch of writers conjuring up these worlds. And you like, can't yeah. see their heads, but, like, Jeff Lemire's clearly standing there in his, like, plaid shirt. And there's, like, a, a bunch of, like, writer. Uh, huh. I, I retract my earlier comment because I don't think I read that issue. None of that sounds it was familiar at all. so good. It was so fucking cool. Yeah. That was, like, yeah, that was, yeah. Justin had been gone for a year, and he came back, and he mainlined a bunch of Black Hammer issues and got it there. And it was good. Yeah, it was, it was rad. Um, though, Dean Ormston like so on good. this book is so yeah. good having him back felt really good I don't even really mind the what was the Rich Tommaso Rich Tommaso's art like it's, it's yeah. kind of already it's yeah. like a, the, the the third all red brother that no one talks about <laughs> yeah it's almost too polarizing to like even have an opinion on it's like that's just it's thing and you know it's alright but this ugh, it works real good um, yeah this artist is amazing I felt like the last the last we saw our heroes, they were out in the metaverse looking at the writers. There hasn't been something between that and this. No, so like the last we saw these guys, um, we awoke on the spaceship. Spoilers to Black Hammer. Yeah, I have some real spoilers. Fucking, yeah. yeah, but um, they awoke on the spaceship, and we realized that they all think they're on this farm, but they've actually been stuck right. in this spaceship in stasis lock. And Colonel Weird and Lady Dragonfly. Lady Dragonfly had created that fiction so they could exist there because if they were to kill, if they were to have died, then the like evil Galactus parallel would have risen. But if they stay alive, like he. And if they kill him, yeah. something would fill that space. Yeah, like, yeah. They're trying to keep cosmic balance. Yeah, so they had to like stay in a hyperspace lock and. Abraham Slam was like, I want to go back to the farm. But somebody was like, no, we, we can't do that. And they all sort of disappeared. And then we spent two issues with just Colonel Weird who went somewhere else. And met all those other heroes. Yeah, like writers, forgotten just... heroes, like the untold stories that live in the like the subconscious of creators that don't create those stories. Yeah, and that... God, that... Duck. Duck. That Justin Duck. I, fucking I want love a that... shirt with that duck to give to Justin yeah, so bad. I love that duck. He's so cool. But so anyway, this is... We've learned that where the heroes went is this. Yeah. So it's another layer down of whatever, like, at this point, I feel like Jeff Lemire could just keep putting layers of reality below it, and I'd be fine, like, okay, now they're here. But um, I do want to go back to what the hell's going on. I want to know, like, yeah, I wanted that. Like, the first, you know, thrust of the story was that they were on this farm, and they didn't know why they were there, and they didn't... They had some memory, but and now they've been moved to a city, and they don't remember who they were. Uh, they're in the original city. Yeah. And it, is yeah. it just Spiral her? City. Is it the same time? Is it? It's as if it. What I read it as in this issue, it's as if they weren't superheroes, and they're consuming the superhero fiction. Like he, Abraham Slam's reading a different hero, though the Martian guy, he's just leaving Earth with a partner. Yeah. So it's like as if anti-god had never showed up and they never, I don't know. I, yeah, and they never formed. Yeah, it doesn't look like any of the heroes were ever heroes, really. Yeah. 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 There was just the, the versions of the heroes were just in the comic books these people read. And I love the way that portrays just their the lives are so average and and, uh, and and just the dissatisfactions they all have in their lives. Did you resonate with Abraham Slam being a security guard reading comics on the job? Yep, in a, <laughs> in museum. a museum. Yep, yeah. yep. I was like, ah, the only thing that's all me, except for the you know, don't have to be there graveyard shift. But the rest of that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you also have the nighttime or the daytime job of getting to <laughs> rule a comic book kingdom. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, I really and I really felt for um, 
I forgot her name. Um, uh, the Black, Black Hammer's daughter. The, yeah, Black yeah. Hammer for her and just her working at the diner and she wanted to be a journalist. And the art and the pacing here, I mean, his panels, I mean, you that really feels like a crappy downtown city in the snow. Yeah. And, and she was a journalist in her other life before she yeah. got to the farm, right? Because that's how she started this whole journey was like trying to figure out about her dad. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And then the big reveal at the end, which I think has some implications to what is going on is Taki's not dead, the walkie-talkie robot guy, but he has a he has a shot. He has the hole where Colonel Weird shot him. When did Colonel Weird shoot him? Oh, he right. sent a probe out into space, and we thought that that probe didn't go anywhere, and we found out that they brought right. the probe down. He found out about that, and he went to tell everybody, and bef- like he was running to tell right. Colonel and there Weird. was that sort of so. menacing Colonel Weird moment. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, and I love the way that was drawn. He lights that match, and he lights this, you know, retro vintage candle, Victorian candle stick holder, and it's it was very evocative. Yeah, it's that is a awesome shot right there. Yeah, yeah, I I now really don't know where the story is. Like the meta kind of destroyed everything before it. So where are they going now? Yeah, and. I'm really excited for it. I guess that the story of all the characters being now put into a reality where they don't remember what came before them or, like, became before that um, is a thing that we've experienced in some fiction before. But, I, you know, we've sort of talked about it. I think that he'll – I have enough faith in Jeff Lemire that he's going to do something new and and awesome with it. But in this, I was sort of like, okay, all right. Like, I don't want to have to go through, like, five issues of just getting everybody to remember who they were. Yeah, that would seem pretty tiring. After everything, yeah. like, we've the whole series has been people kind of trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Right. You know, to it would feel like a This step would be back. kind of a, a backstab of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if this is all, and hopefully, yeah, we do find out in, like, an issue or so. Um, I'm wondering if this is all another reality that Weird and Madame Butterfly have, like, Put them back into. Yeah, I almost felt like they put them back to sleep, and now Taki's coming up like, hey. We got to get out of here, my dudes. Yeah, Yeah. he's going to, like, pull them out. Finally, then we'll get the real confrontation. I think this Black Hammer 45 looks pretty cool, though. Yeah, Yeah. it does. And Matt Kent is doing the art in it. Is that right? Yeah, and Ray Fox will do some writing, and it's like. That does does look cool, like a Blackhawks type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I give this one... uh, an 8.5, even for like my you know, 8, 8.5. Yeah, I'll give it an 8.5 too. I'm with Jeff with not exactly being, I feel like amnesia is a thing that's way overdone and we're still like Marvel Knights was just an amnesia story. Yeah. Like, and man, there's Marvel's done it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a neat amnesia has been around for forever. Like Jason Bourne. Like, I feel like when are we going to kind of let that style? But anyway, I trust Jeff Lemire, yeah. even if it is just a basic am- amnesia thing. He'll do it in a nuanced way. So, yeah. what do you give it? Ice cream tits, <laughs> <laughs> creepy tits. I'll give it an eight, just to be a little different. Whoa! I you said st- eight, eight point five. Oh, okay. Are you stinking on? Dang! It? I guess I'm. I'm no, no. I, I loved it. Normally you're like normally you're the drop. Okay, I'll give it a nine. You, you drop he the drops <laughs> drops the, the hammer on the boom. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Oh, wow! <laughs> Man! Wow! Is Those that Rocky Road? Uh, I'll, give, I'll give it. I'll give it an eight point seven. Wow! That's there not you a go. real score. Come on! <laughs> Phil is shaking his head back uh, in his glitter shorts. What is that? There. Olive oil ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to talk briefly about Buffy the Vampire Slayer number two from Boom Studios, written by Jordi Belair with art by Dan Mora. Um, I talked about issue number one. I really like this book. I'm on record as loving Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
And if you like Buffy, if you've liked Buffy at any time in your life, I think Dark Horse was putting those comics out as like season eight, season nine, season 10. It just never really had, it never felt like Buffy to me. It felt like just a sort of weird coda written by other people. This is going back to the beginning of Buffy in high school, same characters with an entirely different trajectory. Um, You know, like Willow uh, came out in the fourth season of the television show here. She's got a girlfriend while they're in high school. That's awesome. Cordelia is a little different. Spike and Drusilla are in here in these first issues. They didn't show up till season two, season three. Uh, It's it's just if you like those characters, um, Jordi Belair is doing a fantastic job of capturing those voices and just doing a, a totally different thing with them. And, you know, I love Buffy, uh, and and it's great that it went a direction. It's really cool to get to see those characters loyally done and go in a different direction. It doesn't feel quite like fan fiction. It, it's just, it's really, really good. So if you're a Buffy fan, I think that you would really like this. Also, the art, Dan Mora, he did uh, Klaus, Claws. He did, by the way... The head of Boom was talking to us, and he referred to Claus as Klaus. So I was just like, "Fuck, man! I know it's Santa Claus, but if the head of Boom who puts the comic out is saying Klaus or Claus, Klaus, then no one's allowed to correct us when we say it wrong. Yeah. Uh, which somebody always corrects us wrong, no matter how we say it at the shop. But the art is amazing. It looks so much like those characters without having the problem of feeling photo referency. It's Dan Moore is an amazing artist who who can sort of extrapolate facial expressions and, and and not ever... It seems like he's internalizing who that person is and can recreate who they are in any expression, any position, and it doesn't feel like he has to rely on looking at a picture of them from an old episode to get that across. Mm-hmm. Spike's in it, who's one of the sexiest, coolest guys in all of fiction. <laughs> Love him. And, you know, Xander is just sad. It's super good. I don't, I don't know how this would fall if you haven't watched Buffy. Django didn't like it. Also, I don't think Django would like this, whether he'd seen Buffy or not. This is, you know, it's got, it, you have to kind of like those high school angst things as well. So anyway, uh, I really like Buffy number two. I would give it uh, an 8.5. Very good comic book. Hmm. Cool. This makes me curious to read it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not for everybody, but I would say definitely for some. Fantastic Four number seven. How about that cover? How Be- about that cover? Beautiful cover. It's a fantastic cover. Quit looking at those tits. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this was the issue that I really felt like like you've often felt with this series where I was like, man, I this come on, Dan, this dialogue and things I'm I'm getting I don't know, this is it was kind of boring for me. And it shouldn't be. Because it's Galactus fighting Doom. Doom's got a power cosmic um Latvian girl that he's he's tricked into helping him and being bait for Galactus. A lot of cool ideas. A lot of nice art. Um, Is it Aaron Cooter still? Yeah, yeah. I like Cooter. Yeah. It's better Cooter than the last Cooter. I don't know yeah. if it's a different inker, but it's this oh, one. Oh, that a, looks more like your classic Cooter. Yeah, it, for sure. I feel like the last one they were like trying to make it look a little bit more like Pacelli, who had done the first of it, and this is a little bit more just like Cooter being Cooter. Dude, that Doom face by Cooter. Oh yeah, it's good. Oh yeah, it's yeah, good yeah Cooter great Doom. art and some cool like <laughs> Cooter some, Doom. Some cool like Marvel classic big dumb ideas like these. Uh, Doom has these singularity disruptors, guns basically, and 
and Doom. Yeah. Even though it seems silly, Doom calls them my big bang cannons. <laughs> and and like that was you know one of my more favorite parts, and it still didn't quite meet a super high threshold. <laughs> I don't think you're getting the smart Fantastic Four book you wanted. No, the way that I feel about this book is like you're in, you know, elementary school and it's recess and the kid, like a kid that you do not like, his parents bought him all the coolest toys. So you have to watch this kid that you don't like play with all these awesome toys. And you're like, man, you suck. I'm jealous of your toys and you're just kind of wasting them. That's a great analogy. I misheard you at first so I thought you said urine like you're in as like urine like pee in elementary school like pee in elementary school so this, <laughs> this book is like peeing your pants uh, before junior high <laughs> does it make you feel that way Roman? Um, sorry I was reading some Johnny Storm dialogue Johnny Storm's written really, really well in this um, his dialogue so I'm sorry I missed that um, you fuck <laughs> you're reading was, your comics again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you just missed sense. some like gold. That was Jeff some, and I were talking about peeing and little <laughs> when you're a little kid and you yeah. pee on yourself. We're I, nervous. I was reading Johnny's. Di- I was reading Johnny's dialogue and eating some Rocky Road chips off my chest. And, <laughs> was, mm. So uh, one of the lamest things to me in this is like they fell Galactus in one small panel with this girl. Just sort of flying by him. Krakoom. You don't even see the contact point. Like, Galactus is up being crazy awesome Galactus. And, like, whatever the terribly named character is. What is the that name of that character? That character design is terrible is as it well. Victorious? Yeah, Something? the character's name is Victorious. Right, right. And right. she flies by him. You don't even see the moment of contact. It just says Krakoom. And then Galactus goes down. And you're like, all right, we just... No one trips Galactus. Beat Galactus by non-contact punching him. I don't know. I'm going to give it like one or two more issues, but I'm I'm pretty bummed out by it. Yeah, especially and in this issue, Reed both Reed and Ben are kind of just just badly written. Yeah. I felt like and Doom is not like super intelligent. It's I guess while I was reading it, I was thinking about what I always tell people when they're like, "Well, it's not my Superman," or it's not my I'm just like, "No, it's not. Let it be what it is and try and enjoy it." And I'm finding myself on the other side of this being like, man, this is a, sh- a crappy version of these characters and I, sh- I should just enjoy it. But I don't even I don't even enjoy it. <laughs> I Some, want. Yeah. Sometimes Nothing that I love about the Fantastic Four is in this. I always try to approach stuff as like a multiverse story. But sometimes like how I imagine you are with the Fantastic Four, like you're just too invested to be completely objective. So when you see something you like being done bad, like it's almost personal. You're like. These are my guys. Like, yeah. Does someone do these guys better than this guy? Yeah, and it's nice to sort of see the other side of that. So it's, you know, I can say shut up to myself when I'm telling somebody to just enjoy a thing. Because sometimes you've been following a character for a long time and you really like it and you want to see it done well. And this is just, I don't like what's happened with the kids. I hope they undo the aging of the kids. I don't, what I like about Doom and Reed is, you know, their intelligence and their interplay with each other. And this is not that at all. Yeah, it's not a... Uh... But the art is very pretty. It's amazing. You know, it's pretty pretty. Yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. great. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll stick with it, I guess. But yeah, I am surprised because you know I loved Dan Slott's Spider-Man all throughout the years on that and his Silver Surfer. And I was really looking forward to his FF. So I I'm was hoping, looking I'm forward this to picks it also. up. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. hopefully. I like the fact up. that Reed goes Nova and you know phases Galactus for a few seconds. <laughs> Johnny goes Nova. Or, yeah, geez, what did I say? Reed? 
He oh. just stretches, man. He's yeah. the stretchy one. Reed goes Gumby if he goes. Reed, Reed, <laughs> Reed goes Gumby and strides across the landscape a few times, and that's kind of cool. Man, did you guys <laughs> see those like old Gumby things, like where he goes to the moon and stuff? Like, was there a Gumby movie? Gumby was a cool character, but scary as hell. Like, there was some nightmarish, weird <laughs> shit. I fucking loved Gumby. Man. Yeah, I mean, his horror pokey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I just thought you were going to go really dark with Gumby. Again, my Gumby was inherently dark, man. Yeah, so Gumby's like, covered in pee, and it's fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you see the one where Gumby did heroin and passed out on the bathroom floor? And Pokey and, uh, has to like put him on its back and take him to a hospital to stop him from ODing? Fucking Gumby, man. How many Cooter Dooms do you guys give this I one? I give this one a 5. 5.5. The art's nice. You made a comic book, so you deserve... <laughs> you know, some some credit, but would you give it, Roman? I'm sorry, I missed. Uh. <laughs> oh wait, no, you just didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he um, was eating that chicory and lemon ball ice cream. <laughs> chicory. <laughs> this takes me back to the back to the antebellum South. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll give it, man. I'll give it. I'll give it a six. That's yeah. crazy that Roman gave a Fantastic Four book of six. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the lowest FF score I've I mean, ever given. He usually given. drops the hammer and he drops it hard. Dude, he yeah. hasn't dropped a 10 yet this week. If I don't get a go. No, there'll, there'll be a 10. There'll be yeah. a 10. I okay. can feel one cooking. You know, you can tell yeah, when the no, man yeah, walks in and he's, got, when, he's packing a 10. You can feel when he's percolating. Yeah, he's perking that 10. Uh, Batman Detective Comics 999 by Peter Tomasi and Doug Monkey. Man, this is the most. I'm just gonna come out and say Please. it real quick. Most bipolar Batman book I've ever had. Like either yeah. an issue gets me, or an issue I'm like, this is fucking trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm on the other side this week. I actually really like this issue. I um, also really like this issue. It. I I think the last two issues I was very tired of this mystery of who's orchestrating all this stuff, what's going on, who is the bad guy here, and what we find out in this issue um, reframes all of that and made me appreciate the sort of languishing in these moments that, that happened. Yeah, and the monster wasn't very threatening or captivating to me. It's like, oh, he just is, like, ookier and mo- more monstrous every issue, but he's not really doing a whole lot. And the fact that it's a representation of, like, brute, you know, it's all Bruce's villains as, like, all the things he can solve. Like, it's the ultimate crime engine yeah. thing is cooler than just, like, oh, I'm a monster that kills everybody. Like, so, so spoilers again. We said at the beginning, not huge spoilers, but we're going to reveal the mystery here. Um, what we find out, what happened at the end of the last issue, what happens here is that Bruce is actually just in a tank, and it's his birthday. And the way that he celebrates his birthday is by trying to teach himself a lesson. So, <laughs> so fucking cool, though. He creates this reality where he is solving this impossible mystery, and everyone he loves is dying, and the villain is the sort of homunculus collection of all the evil things that he's encountered and it's just sort of for him to ultimately get to that point of realization and he's like fighting himself who is rapidly aging and explaining this to him and then he busts out of the tank and and uh, it's just this weird I don't know and then and then like he's sort of saying like yeah I'm just trying to get better I want to teach myself these things I need to create these challenges for myself and Alfred's like man last year the death count was this number which was less than the year before it which was less than the year before like you're helping and you're getting better um but it was such a good like Batman is so psychotic he has to constantly be testing himself and becoming better at any means and like he has a dialogue with essentially his child self like I have to bury you and let you go away in order to continue to be this guy. And like he revisited his kid, his child self. And 
Yeah, I thought it was like that. That is who Batman is now. Like that's modern Batman, the guy, the unrelenting, like crime solving to the point where he like puts himself through fucking hell in order to be better. Like that's the optimum man. And know? it it really did, you know, redefine my appreciation for the previous issues. Yeah, it, it's I really liked it. Roman, what did you think of this? I I really liked it too, and that that was a surprise. That's not where I expected it yeah, to go. Yeah, I guess I loved that it was. Like, oh, wow. A yeah. simulation. Yeah, it was all yeah. Bruce was doing. It wasn't Hugo Strange or anybody else like, like you know, I was thinking. Do um, you think that was a bad thing? Well, I don't Maybe it's too simplistic to say bad or good, but bear, of burying his child self. Because I took it as, okay, good. You're burying the, um, the, trauma. The, the, the trauma. Yeah, the child self that can never be satisfied because – that person is gone. Yeah, I mean, I read it as kind of a good and a bad thing. Like, what a sad thing to have to do, but as well as, like, there's some kind of internal growth from it, but I don't know, just, like, every day on your birthday you go and talk to the part of your trauma that has, like, cracked you forever is a terrifying, kind <laughs> of a beautiful idea. I, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm totally with you. That was sort of my interpretation of it. And, and having that tragedy or that trauma be this infinite well of growth for you like the idea that he revisits that on his birthday hmm. to continue his growth and to become a you know a better crime fighter yeah it lends lends itself to the, the sort of the tragedy that is the batman character and i i think this was the perfect lead up to 1000 yeah this sort of fictionalizing it's your birthday well it's your birthday cuz it's the 1000th issue that we're coming up on and it was masterfully done yeah, yeah. it was it was uh this story would have meant probably a little bit less if it came out, you know, 30 issues ago. But mm-hmm. the fact that we're coming up on this huge anniversary and we're really distilling Batman down to this this really powerful metaphor at this really pivotal time. And I, I, I was really impressed with it. I, I read it at night and I was just like, damn, damn, that's a good book. Yeah. And, you know, it references a lot of the classic stuff in Batman too: the bell ringing, the, the bloody bat, the father stuff, all leading up to the... the 1000 thing like it's all like kind of like at the end of old sitcoms you see like usually the last episode of a season or of the show is a recap of all the best yeah. moments it felt like that like in Seinfeld they all have to recap all their best moments of the show it felt Just, like have that. you watched all Seinfeld you watched the end of Seinfeld uh, I didn't yeah. know you were a guy who watched Seinfeld I watched a lot of Seinfeld that is the end of the Seinfeld day. I yeah. didn't know we had that in common yeah I can't say I like it, but you know, I've seen a lot I of Seinfeld, and it's brought me joy for sure. <laughs> Brilliant um, show! I got. I hope that. But it's what, so fucking obnoxious, though. I, I they're do all like, bad folks. Yeah, that, that's what's great about it. Yeah. yeah. Um. God, I hope that doesn't mean issue one thousand is going to be like a recap scene episode. No, I think it's, it's a lot. That'd of be awful. Stuff. I think <laughs> issue one thousand is going to be really good. They all are kind of that. There are so many annuals that are like, "This is Batman yeah. being fucking cool through time." And, mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. This like touches on a personal like philosophy of mine about the like the wounds that crack you or the opportunities for the most amount of growth. Like, I'm glad that you dug it because I, yeah. I also really dug it and I was interested to see where you, you know where your feelings were going to be because I think we both did get tired of it, but this this did resonate with me like personally in a pretty deep way. Yeah, and it it made some of the kind of hokey, jokey, dumb parts of it make a kind of sense. Like, oh, it's a simulation; it doesn't follow like normal mystery logic you know yeah it is like yeah. Batman talking to himself it's like a, a you know a, a f- infinite feedback loop and some of the cheese aspects of it yeah I like how we're really getting into like the mind and the vulnerability of Bruce's mind in the in both King's Run and this like I like the era of Batman where like 
maybe we could view Batman a little bit as a human too and see that like yeah he's vulnerable but that's why he's awesome like yeah it'll be really interesting in 20 or 30 years to look at this era of Batman because I think we can sort of point to decades as <clears throat> uh, exemplifying Batman in certain ways yeah and I, I'm interested to see what this era will be saying about him because there is a, a lot of psychoanalysis that I don't think has happened before you know Grant Morrison, I think sort of embodies the decade before this. It's just sort of like, how do we make all of these things have happened in one person's life? And now we're, you know, every, I think decade has been a little bit more of defining him in different ways. And now we're sort of looking at the psyche of him. Yeah. I think like Grant Morrison did this really good job of like distilling Batman into this kind of like godlike optimum human being figure. Like he's done it all. He he's always has an answer, always finds a way. He's like the human will distilled as a person and this is also it's that but it's making it that makes you idolize batman like i was just like man i just want to be a willpower engine and this is like i kind of just want to give batman a hug yeah Yeah, you know for sure like he's really human batman's being humanized again in a way that i think is necessary because he's been a badass for so long like it's good to also be like man poor dude (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because he yeah. he's a he's the byproduct of trauma and damage. Yeah, and I love at the end they go have dinner with Leslie Tompkins. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love the fact that actually dead. yeah, I love the fact she's alive. They even had a great ended it with a great uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote that that's totally fits this whole. Read that quote Batman for thing. me. Oh, you want me to read the quote? Yeah, I'm gonna take off my ice cream covered glasses. <laughs> <laughs> got sticky thumbprints. <laughs> swallow that dairy. There's not one among us in whom a devil does not dwell. A devil. At some point, (laughs) at some time, on some point, that devil masters each of us. It's not having been in the dark house, but having left it that counts. Roman, and you looked at me afterwards. We got to get Roman a quote book. And when we're really (laughs) down, there's a service that we can all like pay where Roman comes to your house and just reads you quotes and looks or at you. Or maybe we just get the book and he would, you know, in producing the book, we would have him read the quote and just take a picture of him while he's doing it. So each quote has a sort of picture of him at the bottom of it. And that would be sort of him with his glasses off looking down at you. Yeah, like we'd have an album. Gorgeous nose. Who's got the Roman album? I'm feeling really down this week. Uh, I give it a 9.5. I think it was uh, really one of the better Batman issues of the last last good chunk of time. Yeah, oh, it was even called the Doom Child. Poor boy. I, I kind of forgot that. I like Po' Boys. Um, <laughs> Roman, he's back. I love it. Go, go. I'll, I'll give it. I will also give it a nine point five. That was a Fuck. great issue. Man, this is like, when it, when it's just us three, it becomes a, a nine point five circle jerk. But I'm giving it a fucking <laughs> nine point. I'm giving it a nine or fiver. I'm touching you. Yeah, I'm t- and you're touching me. <laughs> I'm uh, gonna give give it nine and a half swallows Nothing of dairy. Nothing flat about this circle. Uh, oh god. Oh god. I like it. Uh, Roman, will you tell me about Ice Cream Man number ten by Maxwell Prince and Martin Morazzo? Justin, I love this book. We haven't read this issue. Yeah, oh. there wasn't a shelf copy. By yeah, the time we're trying to make sure oh, really? there's plenty of Whoa. shelf copies for these books. I, oh, yeah, ice fuck? cream, I, ice cream man. man. I even meant to look it up. I think this cover might be. I thought it was maybe it was an homage to a to a famous painting or yeah, something. like something by Velasquez or something. But I'm I couldn't find it. I don't it. think the guy who did Invader Zim did. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Um, that was um, inside baseball. Does this follow up on that last issue that we had, which was very more on the mythos of the ice cream man and the man in black, or is this it, back in the normal form? No, it it does follow up that mythos. It's set in Mexico in 1919. The previous issue was kind of in in Old West, but not. Timeless Old West. Yeah, yeah not necessarily Earth, Earth Old West. Um, 
And the interesting thing, which I think Django might have translated some of this, I didn't do it, but the first like five or six pages are all are all in Spanish, all the characters, and the the ice cream man shows up as this general, and there's a woman, I th- I think it's his daughter, if I remember correctly. I read this like it feels like a week ago. Um, yeah, we're recording this a little bit late because this is the fourth week in a row of late comic books. Yeah, yeah, and her her secret lover, this little young, like 17, 19-year-old cowboy shows up. He's They're going to run away together um, in secret because she wants to escape the household and her father. Uh, and, and they make you plans. Know, you don't need to go too okay, far into okay. it because I'm, I'm – not to be selfish and say we get to spoil it for all the listeners, but I don't want this spoiled. <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually really excited to read this. Yeah. This yeah. Is well, they make, they make plans and the young cowboy in love meets up with uh, – the cowboy archetype or hero, yeah. if you want to call him that, who gives him advice that the young guy doesn't listen to and goes back to meet up with her. Um, and, Whoa. Th- and things happen. Beautiful, beautiful artwork. The ice cream man reveals himself. Uh, it's just really what, and it's about love. It's all about love. And there's some quotes in here like, love is a bridge, but it's also a border. Um, and I wow. forget the translation. There's an Octavio Paz poem that it ends with. Uh, Hermandad, and it's it's and it's in the Spanish, and I wanted to find a translation which I didn't bring with me because I wanted because I because it all ties in and sums it up. Oh, did did and, you find a translation when you were reading it? We well, don't need to do it right now, but yeah, I you did. did find one. Okay. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. it's 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 one of his I think semi famous poems, um, and it's just it's a great meditation on on love and commitment and and what people will do for that and and the you know sometimes the stupid things they oh. Turns out there's a back page that I didn't even see, and yeah, it's based. It's kind of based on a oh, a famous that. painting by yeah. Diego Velasquez. So I was right. Yeah, wow. you were. <laughs> and Some I didn't know it. You're so great. It I should look at all the pages. <laughs> all right, a flat circle. That was beautiful. Hey, Roman. I love and actually, Justin, you weren't on the the. It was the last issue was uh, the podcast that Roman and I recorded, just the two of us. So we haven't talked too much about this last issue, but. I love that this book has become such a strange medi- meditation on like sort of universal balance. Yeah, I was going to say order and chaos. It yeah. always comes down to the two. And... Yeah, and how – I don't understand how a book that is that sort of metaphorical and vague and broad is dialed down to the title Ice Cream Man. Yeah. But yeah. it's – I just feel very blessed that this book exists in the sort of amorphous, vague way that it does, and it's been allowed to keep coming out. And not only has it been allowed to keep coming out, but it's gaining more and more subscribers. Yeah, I. It's one of those things that like anything can be anything, and you hear that it sometimes like in writing where anything can be anything. You could make this about this, or and when this you're on the... mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just like how he's like, okay, ice cream man. And all this bad shit happened. Maybe he's just, he's just the cosmic, you know, in my belief of this book is Ice Cream Man is the embodiment of everything chaotic and unpredictable in yeah. the universe. And every yeah, And you see the beauty and the tragedy in between all of that. Like, yeah, in chaos, you get beautiful loves. Sometimes you get addiction and sometimes, you know. And it's crazy how all that can be in a book called Ice Cream Man. But it's also perfect. Like, Ice Cream Man is such a vague enough thing that you can inject so much into it. And yeah, I it's a very very special book. I love this book a lot. That last issue I didn't get to talk about it, but like 
my hair was blown back re- reading it. Yeah. It, it's reminds me a lot of some of Grant Morrison's peak yep. in, in a it's kind of in a, a harder to place way. It's yeah. Uh, in a way that's a little as unnerving as Grant Morrison can be sometimes as well, all the time. Like it, it, there's always some part that makes me kind of go. Ugh. Um, yeah, it's a very, very good book. Yeah. We're lucky that it's coming out. And if, if, if you're not reading it, everyone should read this book. It is like, it's a meditation. It is. Yeah. It is. I, yeah, it's what I think comics as a medium can specifically do that not a lot can by it's, it's a thing that gives you a space to think about yeah. things in a deeper, deeper way. Like, yeah, no, I like that's my favorite, uh, thing that comics can be. And that's not the only book this week that does that. Yeah, for sure. So we're lucky, but, um, it really like, yeah, that's exactly the right, right way to put it. Like when comics can create a space for you to think and feel, and this book consistently does that. And I guess Justin and I are talking the most about this issue that we haven't read. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, a space to think and feel. And also this poem, I can't remember exactly, but it's about, um, kind of the creative force, creating man, man scripting things but also being scripted by that force which ties into all everything that we think we that we're seeing hints of with both ice cream man and the cowboy i don't know where this is going and what it's going to be but i'm i I think it's going to be one of the one of the bigger better series in a long time for sure i want to hardcover it because i love the art too oh yeah yeah. junkie quietly it's like it's yeah heroin addict frank quietly for sure yeah and it's such and it's such a overall pleasant surprise because we all thought this was just going to be a, 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 a probably book. a pretty good horror book, yeah. you know. But you know, nothing more than that. Can you imagine if it didn't have the sales to go past volume two? Oof. Like it, it's just slowly gained more and more. But this is volume three that we're in right now. But you know, in, in that sort of we were talking about like you know relying on hooks early on in series like. This book hasn't really shown itself until the last like four or five issues, and we're only at ten. It it it's needed that room to breathe and grow for sure. Yeah. The the amount of depth that it's now getting in the like it's very purposeful. Like you now we know for sure these are meditations. A couple of them I was like, is he getting at this? Is this is yeah. there a deeper like substructure to this book? Oh, yeah, like the issue where like the person's running down the elevator. And, like, the other person's committing suicide while it's yeah. happening is just this crazy, yeah, like, didn't make any sense until, yeah, I, I want to reread the whole series now. In the first issue, like, I was like, okay, I can get behind just, like, a, a pretty vague cerebral, but ultimately exploration and just being weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I can get behind that. It's okay. kind of like a magical, realistic, absurdist take on horror. But then, like, it took, and I thought that's what it was every time. Like, oh, this is just another horrific thing in a weird world. But now there's, like, this deep structure of him. He's exploring, like, cosmological ideas yeah. through this book. And I don't think we would have gotten it until, you know. No, and it yeah. needed that space. There, yeah, that yeah. to go back on your point, I'm glad I fucking stuck with this book. Right. Because I was, like, I was down, but it would have been a book that I dropped. But I, it, had I not just loved the art and the colors so much, because yeah. the color is amazing. What um, do you give it, Roman? I'll give this one a 10. Go! <laughs> Jeff and I are going to give you giving it a 10. A, a 10. 10. Roll oh, dong, Jeff yeah. dong, Justin dong. It's a dong table. Django, it's all out right now. Justin, yeah, it. Django, yeah. You are listening. Roman's covered in ice cream film. There's dongs just tipped out of glitter shorts is all over there. my this. hair? Is this Roman's hair? It's oh like giant, enormous venom tongues all over. Doesn't matter whose hair it is. Oh, God. It's all of our hairs. Good. Man, he says that all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> Amazing Spider-Man number 16, Nick Spencer, Ryan, Otley, and some other people in the backup. But I don't really think that we're here for the backup. I think we're here for that first part. There's a backup? Well, the, the second half of the issue is a different artist, and it focuses more on Spider-Man. But the first half of this mm-hmm. issue is all following Craven, who's been being teased this whole run. And I guess this sort of kind of goes back to what we've been talking about this whole episode, which is uh, things being allowed the space to grow and breathe. And in this Nick Spencer run, even as far back as like the first issue, like Craven was teased. And every couple issues we have been seeing Craven doing a thing in the background. Hmm. And this whole first half of this issue, it's an oversized issue, um, is what Craven's been up to. Roman, did you read this? I did. You want to talk about it? And you sure. like Craven, right? I do like Craven. I, don't, I um, don't know Craven very well, and as such, don't like him very much. This was the coolest, most badass Craven thing I've ever read. I've never read cool. The Last Hunt. I cool. kind of want to like him, but yeah. every time he's just been pretty. Sergey! Sergey! <laughs> You should you should read uh, uh, the collection of Last Hunt because that was like the best Craven story ever. Um, <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, it's just he's always crawling out of that grave in Spider-Man <laughs> costume. I'm like, what's going on here? That was like a Hugo Strange type story with Craven playing his mind games and stuff. Um, I really like this. I mean, I mean, I had to put. I have. I still have to put aside. I really liked what character development with Craven in Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. I liked this because that almost left room for that to exist. Yeah. Really? I thought the opposite thing. Because like in Squirrel Girl, latest issue, they referred to events happening in other Marvel books. So you get at least a hint that it's happening in the same universe. In this, in order for Craven, because they tell in this what Craven's been up to for like the last decade, um, there's I d- didn't feel in him doing all this and this huge, massive, long-spanning plan that he had any time to hang out with Squirrel Girl, do any of that. And My read on it was that Maybe that Squirrel Girl Craven is one of these clones. That's what I that got away. Oh, that would work. Okay, cool. I can go with that. And so I was like, it's really cool that this allows us to have evil Machiavellian Craven, and just like Roman will tell you, all these clones die, but maybe one or two got away. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I that I'm that didn't even occur to me, and I can totally go with that. That's all I need is a little bit of explanation there. Sweet. (laughs) Because <laughs> I really like Craven's plan here. I really like his the whole setup, the He's lead up to it. Intimidating, yeah, um, and hot. Yeah, yeah all, yeah, all the smarts. Because before we've always, other than like Craven's last hunt, we've always he's been he's a really good hunter. He's like the Punisher of the jungle, kind of. What does it mean? And, though? and, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. And here you see how good he is at strategy, at long term thinking, at this whole big, huge plan, and and so detailed, having all these clones created of. To, to re, he, I mean, he kills off his original kids, has all these clones created so he can they can fight it out and determine which one's the best, and that'll be his actual he gets, heir. He, yeah, he has himself cloned, and then he goes to the high evolutionary to have them uh, accelerate, evo- like grow, so they're all yeah. aged acceleration. Yeah, just so he can determine who is the very best of his progeny to to inherit everything he's got. And so it's fucking it, like so evil. But yeah, as that and, story is being told to us. You know, we're hearing that, like, he cloned his kids and he loved them. And there's these moments of them all celebrating as a family and him being a father and them growing, you know? And then... Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not simply that, that, yeah, he was... Yeah, he's a complex motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, he actually did love them. I mean, I mean, he has a moment here where he breaks down and it's very touching. It's... it's he's very complex. For some... Somehow he got... 
he enlists the Taskmaster and Black Ant, who I don't even remember where this guy came from. Probably Nick like Spencer's superior foes or something. Oh, yeah. probably, yeah. Um, and they've been his henchmen going out, collecting all the – capturing all the animal-themed and named villains because that's what he's going to use for his uh, – to be hunted. Um, what we haven't mentioned is he created all these clones – and then he he sent them all a letter to go seek out a certain animal. Mm-hmm. But one of them, who was like the strongest, then killed the clone that gave him that note. And then he went out and killed every single other clone. So now Craven only has one child, and it's the strongest child. Hmm. And yeah. and that was this sort of when he when that clone child tells him that he seems like he does cry and he's sad for a moment. But then he says how proud he is. Yep. And that was fucked up. That was why I was like, this is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't according to plan, and it's it's very sad and upsets him, but at the same time, he's like, oh, my boy. <laughs> it's not quite how I wanted it to get here, but this is the end result that it's I wanted like anyway. It's like watching so. Ashton become an employee. Yeah. <laughs> so proud of him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of hot and cold with Nick Spencer's writing on this. There are some issues and arcs that I really like. I don't care for it much when it's Ramos on the art, so I think that a lot of it does have to do with the Ryan Otley art. Um, an artist can really change how I'm engaging with the writing. But, uh, you know, this Craven development stuff is awesome. It's the most impressive that character I've been. I do like his Peter and Mary Jane a lot, but um, sometimes he puts them in sort of situations that I don't care about or like the Taskmaster ant stuff with the lizard kid. I'm just like, I don't don't fucking care about this. Give me Spider-Man and Craven. I give this uh, an eight for that first portion of it. The second part... A lower score, but I, I give this one an eight. Uh, it's a it's a pretty dang good comic, and it made me excited for this hunted arc. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it an eight, and yeah, for sure the backup, the last half of the thing, the lizard stuff. Six point five. I was I was gonna go lower five on that, yeah. maybe a four. Ooh, <laughs> oh, yeah. what do you give it, Justin? I give it a six. I have been so so with this book. Um, he's making me like Craven. I used to think Craven was a donk. Even with that awesome costume? I mean, his costume's <laughs> sweet, and those knives are cool, and all that shit is real cool, and I love his mustache, but, you know, I was like, why a hunter? Why is that intimidating? Why is everyone afraid of this guy who's just a dude who hunts, and, yeah. you know, like, he's a poacher? Yeah. But, uh, you know, Scorpion has a giant tail. Mysterio's got a fish head. Green <laughs> Goblin throws bombs from a glider. Green Goblin is the fucking coolest. No, I'm saying like, those are cool villains. Why is a hunter guy anything? Okay. But now, like, he's a fucking tactician... Smart, yeah, spooky boy. Yeah, so, we yes, need to do a read of Craven's Last Hunt. I think going into this event yeah. or something mm-hmm. and do a talk about it. <clears throat> All right, guys, I think that we've got to read a thing that's going to involve some dongs on the table again. Yeah, for sure. I got mine ready. <laughs> Take the glitter pants down. <laughs> mine been at I my already ankles. did. Yeah, I know. It's, your pubes are covered in ice cream goo. Also, I hope it's ice cream goo. You can tell mine's out by the smell. <laughs> this is clearly a podcast for boys yeah, and for oh, <laughs> Well, speaking. Oh my god, I love this issue. Here's a crisis number Nark. six of nine by Tom King and Mitch Garrods on the main art duties here. Who the fuck is Narc? Narc is the best. <laughs> That's guy. what I should have called this issue. Who the fuck is Narc? No, I, I told I told because. Uh, and, and I want to speak for Django. Um, I don't know for sure his feelings on this, but when I was talking to him yesterday, I was like, I, I think that like this series is already polarizing, but I think the people who have liked it 
are also going to be polarized even more by this issue because <laughs> it doesn't move the story further in a in a significant way. And really at all. Yeah, it's just a meditation. But I, I and I said like but for Roman, I, to speak for Roman and Justin and I, I think this is the kind of book that we love. Um, and I guess I finished this issue, and it was late at night, and I went to the bathroom, and as I was going to the bathroom, I was thinking to myself, some comic books are entertainment. Some comic books are a sort of meditation. Sometimes when you read one of those, you wish it was the other thing. Mm-hmm. But it's always art. And this, to me... You know, it just made me feel like, yeah, this isn't necessarily entertainment. It's entertaining for me, but it's also like a part of my journey as a person. And it's art and it's important and it doesn't need to fit into uh, a nine issue maxi series or mini series. You know, like this is this is an important piece of art. And it's, it's also entertaining, but it's also not necessarily what someone is coming in to spend you know, four twenty-five on to get the rest of this story, but um, I, and I don't know. I don't actually know for sure Django's feelings on it, but I don't think that he was as hot on it as I was. But also, I apologize if I'm speaking for him. Huh. I think that this book is this our generation's our moment, I guess, our present times Watchmen. I think this book yeah. is in a subtler way as socio-political. It is just talking about our time. Um, and what it means to be a person these days as told, much as the yeah. Watchmen did then. I, I'm super, super with you in that boat. I think the three of us with our three yeah. paddles in the middle of this lake yeah. with the calm water all around us. That's reflecting the stars. Um, yeah, this book. I, like, closed it, and I was like, Aaron. And I just told her. <laughs> I was like, essentially, like, this is why comics are fucking amazing. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. This book is a very powerful thing. Yeah, just, I mean, drug. I love this meditative issue because I felt, I felt it did forward, move the for- story forward just in showing us really getting into some of these characters and why exactly they're there. Like the stuff it showed about Wally, I thought was I thought was just – and Wally and Harley um, was just so good. Harley so is such a great character in this. Yeah, she is. If, yeah. you, if you aren't reading this, um, also, you know, not a lot of spoilers here because not – yeah, it doesn't move the, the sort of uh, linear nature of this story forward a whole lot. But it does sort of uh, – stir the pot of this moment but what it is is it is basically interspliced moments of Wally in Sanctuary alternated by largely pages of Narc in Sanctuary who I wasn't aware of this character before and there's bits of Harley as well but uh, it's mostly Narc and Wally I guess and and, and Harley but Narc who is Narc Roman I didn't realize he still existed in the DC universe comics are timeless if you can point um, to an issue that existed then no. he still exists okay yeah he's a that's the third dimension representing the second dimension whoa Tom's big old flat <laughs> big old flat <laughs> pancake <laughs> pancake um, he's a I don't know originally Neanderthal then later said Cro-Magnon or the other way around um, caveman that for, somehow was brought forward in time, joined the Teen Titans in the 70s, hung out with them for a few years, um, and then disappeared after the crisis. I think maybe they brought him back and had some other thing before he got killed. I don't know. But that's who he is, basically, and I didn't know he was still around in current Marvel uni- DC universe. Um, and in one of those storylines, he, he something happened to his brain, and he was able to read great literature and stuff and philosophy, which in this issue he's philosoph- philosophizing yeah. a lot. 
and it's and it's beautifully done. That's really good. <laughs> Kate's. We got a whole I, page of a Kate's poem here. Yeah. His whole. I mean, his whole thing about just what it means to exist, and, and when he's talking about you know Plato and the cave and that that analogy and the philosophy, it's like wow. When I was someone who like fancied himself a philosophy guy, my very first introduction to it, and I was a kid who carried Plato's Republic around with me in high school everywhere I went was that first allegory of the cave. The first time I heard about the allegory in the cave, I still think about the allegory of the cave sometimes. And so to see it portrayed and kind of, and then also the the holographic thing is also very allegory yeah. for the cave, the yeah. the technology they use. Yeah, the in people this. in the sanctuary who are sort of, sanctuary is this computer hologram that basically allows the person to create whatever reality they need to be in to be healing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that part was awesome. The the him having conversations with dead philosophers is a thing that I think most, I think all of philosophy is predicated on. So that was very, very cool. Um, I, I love Narc, man. I, I love Narc now, this sort of big, naked, <laughs> muscular man who just is sort of philosophizing. And to me, so much of it came down to him sort of just wondering, like, was it better to exist in the past when you didn't have this high-functioning brain and it was all about surviving? And all you needed to do, and that's the thing I think about all the time, is, uh, you know, we're burdened by all these thoughts. We can think. And because we can think and because we can worry, we worry all the time. We make ourselves sick. Yeah. But before, when it was just as simple as, like, well, don't die. You just got to stay alive. Like, what, you know, like, the lead singer Tool, they talked about in a live performance once, that, like, back in the old times, like, life was just about waking up gathering food for the day, protecting your family, and then at night building a fire and celebrating that you made it through another day. Mm -hmm. And that's such a beautiful, simplistic representation of what life is and should be and can be and was. And we can never return to that. So how do we sort of make that exist in our high-functioning brains now? And what are these downsides of our brains? And, And I think it's also, that was sort of, the what I felt was the main thrust of his conversation, but he also bounces around a lot, and I think that any one of you guys may have gotten a sort of different main meditation there. But I, that was just a meditation that I, I really liked. I yeah, I really think it's that that meditation. You know, the meditation also on like man who was forged in violence outgrows it, but then turns it in on himself. Yeah, uh, you know, like we we grew up in a violent world. We learned to survive and adapt to violence and. We're ultimately, at our core, a type of violent being. And when we can't put it on others, and we'll put it on ourselves. And then this whole book about PTSD, that we wear violence within us, you know, like we're shattered by violence. This whole book is about trauma and stuff, and that's an internal type of violence. So, you know, Narc is kind of talking about us internalizing it as well um, and tearing ourselves apart and holding on to trauma. And then you see Harley and... um, Ivy trying to kind of work through a trauma and it's just it's such a sensitive empathetic book like it's talking about people every single day it's the it's not just superheroes it's everybody you know um and it was also very much porn for me because I love old cave art and I think about the moment that humans decide to try to symbolically represent something, tell a why, story, why teach and, a lesson, yeah. yeah, teach a lesson, transmit something through time in order to leave something on a, on the cave. You understood time in a different way. 
that you would place something there for someone eventually to see through time to teach people. That was a lesson that I learned through Grant Morrison's Batman stuff. Like that yeah. was what sort of crystallized that idea in my head. Yeah. Uh, and just like I think about what the stars would have looked like with no light when it was the only show on TV. Every <laughs> night falling asleep to that and that moment of a caveman looking up at the stars. Like that image is something in my mind. I think about that moment of what the stars would have looked like before you were burdened by all these thoughts. It would have been insane. And to not rationalize, to have them actually mean something and not just be nebulous, empty gases out there. I was like, fuck. So that's... how do we like recreate that phenomenon in our life? Like when we're inundated with this much information and we're inundated with this much stimulus and internal dialogue, like how, what is a way that we can touch that? You know, like that that moment is... is um, experiencing something that defies all of what is around you. And now we've got so much more noise around us. So what is a way that we can touch a thing that is unquantifiable? Like even now we've quantified the stars. It's this far away. This is that star. This is that light. Well, I think that's what the numinous is. Like that's what God is, is the thing that we can't describe. Like it's the thing that we, we have no frames of reference for. Culture is a byproduct of trying to name the numinous. And, like, I've um, been obsessed with religion and everything. I'm trying to find that again without devolving into, like, neo-primitivism. Like, without being like, well, everything sucks now. Let's just go back to the way right. we, were. we can't. You yeah. know, like, uh, Tyler Durden's point in Fight Club. Like, let's just go back in time and or let's destroy society and make ourselves primitive again. We evolved. Culture was created to get us to get our consciousness as a vehicle to get our consciousness to this point then there's a purpose to all of this even as shitty as it is so we need to bring back the past in a way that isn't going back into the past like we need to bring it so I've been trying to think of like and, and what in the then... past it's sort of like there was a visual thing it's sort of like we didn't have techno technology we didn't have light so to stare at the stars was to touch a thing that doesn't exist around us and and I guess what you're just saying kind of reminds it makes me think that like yeah, now we do sort of lack a visual representation of touching that thing, but it still exists as an idea and it still exists as a concept. And so you said the numinous and it is like, yeah, it's it's no longer is it a journey that we can go on by looking outward to find that same thing, to go on that journey. We have to look inward to I touch agree. those things. And I think that we were going on that journey inward by looking outward in the past. And now maybe, unfortunately, we can't look out to also go inward. We just have to be able to have the strength to visualize and metaphorical, you know, go on metaphorical journeys in inside and find those prompts within ourselves. And I don't know, like, where I get, you know, maybe we're all topic, but like, this is what I fucking love about this comic is that it was making me think about these things, which is comic books don't need to just be entertainment. For sure. And I have watched the readership of this comic book. Um, Increase and decrease. I've seen your normal comic book fans bail from it, but I've seen people who don't normally read comic books come in to start getting it. And I think that's really interesting. I, I hope, I hope, I had, I didn't think that, you know, like now it's, it's today's Watchmen, but the more you say that, the more we've talked about it, I, I do agree. It is a, it's an powerful, important book about this moment in time that we're living in and we're using comics to discuss it. And that is a, pretty incredible thing to say it, it is it is because yeah this is about <clears throat> trauma and the psyche and all these deeper issues behind the um behind the heroes and villains actions 
Yeah, I it, think we're we as a culture are fragmented like these characters were broken and we're traumatized. Our psyche's been traumatized and we can't go back to what's the caveman guy's name again? Narc. 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 We can't go back to be narcs. We're broken. We can't we're sh- there are things in place in the way we think and feel because we've moved advanced through time in a certain way. And I think he's talking about locks and hob. I think some of the philosophical movements we've placed have solidified in our mind in a way that like we can't go back to a primitive state of mind. So like we need to start thinking going forward again and going on those inner journeys again. And, and you know, it's yeah, art like is we, a part of that. We can't really think about just people as a whole at this point because we think about what country you're from and then what country from what political party you're from and then what political party from what region of that political party and like it's so hard to have a unified front in any way and in this you know it's it's in the past and that you know we can't go back to that sort of cohesive initial river that we're all a tributary of now uh i think um a thing that I, I got from this book and I get from Tom King's work in general um, and why I, I have learned to love him so much is I think one of his big messages is it's an implicit one and maybe it's just me projecting, but I think the thing, that unifying thing that we're missing because we have been so damaged, it's the damage that now unifies us. That's the unifying principle between all of us. It's no longer... Because there are so many false boundaries in this modern world, like the thing that unifies us is how broken and damaged we are together. Like we're we're shattered together, and so it's our job to pick the pieces back up together and do that. And that's what these heroes are doing. And yeah, and to be able to look at that damage, which is a consequence of circumstance and action, that consequence, this damage that we are, is our unifying force. Like that is a really powerful sentiment. I hadn't thought about it that way, but to me, I keep thinking about his work as sort of being the the embodiment of the idea that the way out is through. Yeah, for sure. You know, that. like uh, here we are, and the only way to see the other side of this black void that we're in is to focus on that little pinpoint of light that is pain and sort of force ourselves mm-hmm. through that, that challenge. Yeah. And... There's how about a- Mitch Garretts, right? Oh, <laughs> he's real good. Talk about that art, yeah, man. Yeah, Oh man, that shot of, of Narc naked on that dead buffalo and staring dude, at the stars. I gotta find most... that art print somewhere. Yeah, man. dude, he's got so many good prints, but that is oh, one of the most powerful this... moments. Yeah. Oh, it's a master. I want that like it's a master on yeah. me. I love that. That so is beautiful. Much. Yeah. And and the way it's juxtaposed with the the face the facing page is the two flashes. The best flash is Barry Allen and Wally West embracing and all in in red and orange and yellow lightning. Those two pieces together are so good. Yeah. And, yeah, he's he's waxing poetic on, like, what are the things that tie us together? And then you see it's human connection. Like, it's burying them hugging. Like, it's no matter what, our way out is back through, through connecting to other humans as vulnerable and as icky as they can be. And I love uh, the fact that Narc, as he's on that mastodon looking at the, sky, at the stars, he recites this whole poem from Keats, and then he does all that that's, you know, thinking and all about and then his final words are yes pretty (laughs) so there you got the thinking and just feeling i'm tweeting through the shop account to mitch garrett's right now page two of heroes in crisis number two needs to be an art print yeah oh yeah Uh, for sure i wish he was at comic-con this year Uh, that was the one guy i was really looking for for ecc because he's been there in the past i think um i don't know for sure um 
and he's not on the roster. So I was like, Gah. this this book really is a, a a passage, like you were describing the modern, the kind of a modern ver- or the current version of Watchmen. It's it is a passage to I hope even more um, sophisticated storytelling. Yeah, it's. I mean, this. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just it's it's uh, it's high caliber art. Like it, it is it is doing powerful, innovative, yeah. um, great things. And it's I hate when people the, have an attitude. I mean, there have been examples, timeless examples, that superheroes aren't dumb. And you know, um, a lot of people like Alan Moore kind of acts like superheroes are for kind of emotionally he said for people who are emotionally subnormal trying to like revisit their childhood again and i want to say bullshit like this is as sophisticated as any other piece of graphic literature um, and it's all about superheroes i always took it him saying saying that was specifically about the like maybe it's my own bias injecting there but about badly written superheroes <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> like they were for years you know and just uh, this is the first story I've where I've like wow okay so Harley and Ivy really do have a relationship yeah no right. I, I mean, totally I mean, they agree. actually really do love each other I've I never felt that, that before yeah, yeah it was beautiful and I was like and the fact that they were both so honest and see and really seeing each other as you know we both got this these damages that we're trying to deal with and help each other deal with I was like wow this is it's beautiful and it fan it's it reads very real. Yeah. I give it a big old fat 10. Oh, yeah. Goof. Definitely a 10. Goof. 10 dongs. Goof. Out of 10 dongs on the table. Yeah, what was my other 10? Ice Cream Man? Yeah. Yeah, these two books this week both left me wanting to reread them, still thinking about the things it brought up. You know, they brought up, you know, days and days later. I'm going to re- reread them both. I'm going to get the trade of Heroes for Crisis for sure. I'm going to buy that Absolute Edition. I can't for wait sure. oh, for yeah. that to exist. Uh, I, <laughs> I, talk, I was at that thing, the North Carolina convention, and I was talking to Stuart Shrek, the head of sales or whatever, and, and I was like, we're going to see a Mr. Miracle Absolute Edition, right? And he's like, yeah, probably about a year. Nice. So, like, awesome. Cool. We're going to need that Heroes in Crisis Absolute oh, yeah, Edition. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a, it's an amazing, amazing piece of art. Yeah, I would hope that in it they have a uh, Tom King has a multi-page something just like here's what I was thinking about all this yeah <laughs> why I approach this are like lots of types of comics that I really really like and I'll give tens for lots of different reasons I think I've given tens out to Outer Darkness and I love that in lots of ways but for me Ice Cream Man and Heroes in Crisis are my two favorite favorite books coming out right now um, that I can uh, there's a lot of really good books but those are the example of like why, if I needed, if I was at a barbecue with some dickhead guy trying to <laughs> grill me about like why I like silly funny books, I would use those two books as like what I was currently reading as an example that they're not just silly funny books. Like I always, you know, the metaphorical barbecue where you have to justify your interests <laughs> to people. Man, I think the metaphorical barbecue is a theme we need to return to <laughs> yeah. in the future. Yeah, or someone yeah. comes up and challenges you for liking the weird shit that you like. These would be two books that I'd bring to that metaphorical barbecue out there. Uh, Let's have a spinoff podcast called The Metaphorical <laughs> Barbecue. Where we just <laughs> talk about the really serious stuff, yeah. man. I would love to have a Metaphorical Barbecue podcast about The New Frontier. If we For could sure. All I know oh. Django just finished it. I'm just about to finish it. I think we also have, the, have to do the meta- Metaphorical 
barbecue why we're having a literal barbecue. Like we're eating <laughs> real good BBQ Hey, listen, food. within oh, a month wow. from now, like I really want to have a podcast called The Metaphorical Barbecue Out. Yeah, that would <laughs> be like, fucking awesome. We need to talk about comics from a really self-serious, <laughs> deep, appreciative way and call it The Metaphorical Barbecue. For sure. Um, I guess that's everything we've got for today, everybody. Um Thanks for joining us. We miss Django. I uh, miss you, Django. But I really, I love the conversation we got to have today about this stuff. And uh, if you have thoughts on this stuff or if you deeply appreciate a thing or if you want to be just a little bit more vulnerable than you're comfortable with, like <laughs> we've all been tonight, um, you should call us. The phone number is 1-619-663-7336. You can leave a voicemail. You can record an audio and Tell just send it to us. Tell me what flavor of ice cream I should eat off Roman next. The, it's all there. He's got yeah. 31 flavors. <laughs> 31 of them. Yeah. And uh and and we're we're into it. Um but yeah, um gosh. Uh I guess that's all. I don't know anybody else got anything to add. I dare you to find the rocky road. Oh, oh my god, that was the worst thing. That should have been like Did Roman. you see the eyebrow? Yeah, I saw. I'm always watching the eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh Man, I'm Jeff, and uh, I'm really glad to be here, and I'm not even going to start looking for that rocky road. (laughs) I know where it is. I'm Justin, and I'm warning you to watch the eyebrow. I'm Roman, and I'm going to go to Mallard's to get some more ice cream. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week for 122.